are very happy to have Sukina Noor with us today. Alhamdulillah. Dear beloved, you are welcome here. Make yourself comfortable. You will be warm around my fire. All that I have is yours. All that I am an open door. A tray with spiced tea, dates and sweet grapes. I offer you all of myself because in reality I am nothing but a conversation between God and himself. I am a collection of his attributes woven with this flesh like a Persian rug set to create this being human. What do I own that was not a gift from him? This breath, these eyes, this heart fixed into my chest with words that spring forth from the world of spirit, gifted, beloved draw near. You are welcome here. Assalamu alaikum. Uh, welcome to the Warder Books podcast. Um, today we have with us uh, Sukina Noor, who just uh, has released her collection of poems, Love and Longing, Yearning for the Face of God. Sukina is an internationally renowned poet, uh, spoken word artist, uh, playwright, workshop facilitator, educator and public speaker who has toured extensively across the UK, Europe, America and Africa, performing, delivering and awakening the voice of the heart. She holds a bachelor's degree in English Literature and Caribbean Studies and is currently pursuing a master's in creative writing for therapeutic purposes with a focus on the healing potential in the poetry of the Sufi mystics of West Africa. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Sukina, welcome to Warda Books. Uh, first, I would welcome, like, Alhamdulillah. First, I would like to say thank you for writing these poems and for doing the work of producing it and publishing it into the world. Um, these poems are such a gift and they should be cherished as such. Alhamdulillah. Thank you so much. Um, I appreciate your, your, your sentiments because, you know, for yourself as someone who works in the world of, of books and you know you're, you're someone who facilitates and distributes books you know I know that you understand the process because it really is a journey to to have something go from the mind or the heart to eventually being in a in book form and it really wasn't an easy journey for me I think I went through many levels of like anxiety and imposter syndrome and everything but alhamdulillah very grateful that Allah gave me that me and my husband, you know, the strength to push through. So, thank you so much for that. Alhamdulillah. Um, so, I I just want to understand because uh, the you share a lot about yourself, and all um, poets share a lot of, about themselves whenever they write. Um, I mm-hmm. remember uh, Amir Salaman was saying that it's, it's like performing heart surgery in public. Yes. <laughs> so, so, uh, I was wondering about the the poem writing myself into existence. Uh, it seems uh, it seems the most autobiographical, certainly about about your formative years. So, uh, could you talk about that poem and also uh, talk about the journey um, you took to produce uh, the poems that you have today? 
Definitely, definitely. Um, so the poem Writing Myself Into Existence was actually a poem that I wrote whilst I did a workshop with a poet, a poet called Baraka Blue. I'm sure you're aware of him. Um, and I really think that like, it really was, like you said, something that really I used to describe those early years because, you know, even before I started to really indulge in sacred poetry, let's say, um, as a poet, you're trying to make meaning, you're trying to understand the world. Your words become the ways, the way in which you connect with the world. It's, it becomes a code. You know, I was part of a spoken word scene a lot that was uh, in South London at the time, Brixton and such areas. And poetry circles at that time felt very sacred even if people weren't speaking about sacred things it was a place that we would gather many people from the African diaspora of African or Afro-Caribbean heritage and we'd gather to use our poetry to speak about our truth and there was something about those spaces where not only are you there to speak your truth but you're also there to find your tribe you know what I mean you're trying to find your community and on top of that you're trying to just understand the world you know what I mean you're trying to you keep writing and uncovering layers and layers and you know coming to this stage in my journey um as a woman of tariqa and as a woman who's striving on a spiritual path you understand that really and truly what you're trying to do is access your truth you know what I mean and access the truth and access the, the reality whose name is Al-Haq, you know, the more we, we're digging towards truth, what we're really seeking is Allah, because the truth is his name, you know what I mean? So I think it was really a glimpse into those early years of like, I'm a poet and I want to speak the truth and I want to, I want to help people speak the truth. But in reality, when we're pointing to truth, whether I was aware of it or not at the time, what I was really pointing to was Allah, you know. Um, so I guess that's kind of what that poem was about. Your formative years, as you said, your formative years sort of prepared you for the spiritual poetry and the spiritual journey that, that, that would lie ahead of you, I would say, I would say, because I think, you know, at the, at the time when I, I wasn't born Muslim. So at the time that I was, I first became a writer, I just left my town, my town, my hometown, Bristol. I'd moved to the big city, to London, and I was seeking something more. Like I was seeking community. I was seeking like-minded people who were interested in spirituality, who were interested in our history and, you know, like, to break free from the chains that exist in the West of like what the norm is, what's normal, you know what I mean? And so I think that like, when you're, when you're a truth seeker, and I truly believe this, and someone who's sincere in your pursuit of truth, Allah mm. will guide you to, to the truth. You know, many people of different spiritual traditions, they have aspects of the truth. And we believe as Muslims that we have the truth. You know what I mean? And so because what we have comes directly from Al-Haq. And so when you're someone who's striving in the way of truth, according to whatever you, you have access to and you're sincere, I really believe that you will you will find your way in in. in the presence of of that which is real and so yeah I would definitely say that those those early years even though I wasn't seeing it necessarily as a spiritual thing mm. that definitely prepared me for for the path that I'm on now for sure do you do you revisit those old poems and see glimmers of of uh, what would come after 
Mm, not so much if I'm honest with you not so much because <laughs> I think there's still that kind of the artist aspect of yourself which is a bit like oh god you know what I wrote 15 years ago was like it's a bit maybe a bit cringy um, and also things were different then I feel like now um, I document my words more I think back then particularly because my thing was more spoken word than it was kind of poetry in a book let's say that a lot of it was you memorize your poems and you just you are you are the document if that makes sense you are the documentation um I didn't really keep a, a book of a collection of my poems in that way but I'm sure I would be probably sometimes I look back at things not so far back but but far back enough and I'm like you can see there's glimpses of the truth, like you, I can see where I was headed. Even as you may know, before um, I became a solo poet, I was in a group called Poetic Pilgrimage, which was a hip hop. Mm. We did hip hop together, right? And so sometimes I listen back to the music, and I can, I can see what I was pointing towards. I can see what I was looking for, you know. Mm. I see. Yeah, th- this is a thing that interests me. Um, the, the because um, civilizations have moved from an oral um, medium uh, to a more literate medium and now we're moving on to a visual medium so right. it's, it's interesting uh, in for your poetry did, did you notice that shift from being a primarily uh, oral spoken word artist to an artist that writes and and speaks and records um, is there a difference in process or in, in other things yeah, that's a really, really good uh, question question, and, and a good kind of journeying that you that you presented there. Definitely. I guess within poetic circles, there is this conversation between the difference between a poet and a spoken word artist. Are they the same? Mm. Is it the same to be a written poet who just reads her poetry out? Is that the same as being a spoken mm. word artist, for example? I think I would probably say no, um, because spoken word is a lot to do with embodiment. So I'm mm. not just it's not just about reading off of a page, but it's really that your poem is you. It's not just you're not holding it in your hand when you're when you're reciting. It's your poems in your fingers, your poems in your eyes, your poems in your Mm. like it's in your body right and so even when I'm writing I might write a poem like just you know just maybe get my thoughts out but then when I'm deciding if I want that to become a spoken word poem yeah that I do edit it differently than if I'm going to edit it for the page because sometimes when you're editing for the page it's also there's it's just a completely different art form with regards to like what your poem looks like on paper you know as opposed to like what does it sound like and for example when I'm editing for it to be a spoken word piece I probably will add a lot more rhythm maybe more elements of rhyme things that flow you know sometimes I write poems for the page and when I just try to read it out it just doesn't flow from my tongue very well and I know that that's not going to be a spoken word piece that's just going to be something that is going to be read you know but there's other poems that already have a certain musicality to it and a certain rhythm to it um and maybe if it's going to become a spoken word poem i'll add to the rhythmic aspects that might be there i'll maybe use a lot more alliteration you know what i mean Mm. repetition different things to kind of make it that that way you know 
there are some poems in the book like for example saints in the city that was written mm. as a spoken word poem so even that I kind of had to shift it a little bit to make it a page poem you know add different elements that you know take out certain things like that would really only work if you saw it performed live as opposed to like what it looks like on paper so yeah it definitely is uh different but but connected of course I, I get what you mean about um, uh, spoken word artists embodying their, their, their words. Um, you, you mentioned Baraka Blue before and I've, I've read his, his poems and I've, I've watched his YouTube uh, when he was doing spoken word, but it did not prepare me for being in his presence in the same room right. and him reading those same poems that I've read and watched on YouTube is... is is the the poet embodies his words and uh, right. yeah it's, it's the experience is is different and i'm sure this is me as a as an as an audience member i'm sure it's much more for the the person speaking their words yeah absolutely i have i have a poem that i wrote when i first became muslim um i was commissioned uh, to write a poem <clears throat> so it was not long after the danish cartoonists had uh, you mm. know did what they did and so we were invited uh, by an organization in the UK at the time which was called Radical Middle Way um, right. and the the poem the event was called uh, Prophet of Love Cartoons of Hate and they asked us to write a poem about Sayyidina Muhammad Wasallam. so when I wrote my poem it was and I performed it, it was brand new so I was holding the paper I'm reading my poem and then I had this experience that's never happened to me before where I felt overcome like a wave of emotion mm. come through my body. And it was as though I was listening to the poem and not reading it. Um, even though I'm on stage in front of Habib Ali Jifri, you know, Sheikh Babikir, Shayukh from all over the world. I didn't even know who they, they were because I had just become Muslim like maybe three to six months mm. before that point. And I start crying, like I'm weeping on stage, feeling this connection to Sayyidina Muhammad Sallallahu And that never happened before. And apparently I was told that everybody in the audience similarly were, were they were crying with me, you know, Alhamdulillah. And since then, I realized that when I read that poem, specifically, I don't memorize it because I know that... Mm the experience of it is so profound and that was me just with paper that it would be too emotional for me to to have memorized it completely so what i what i did over the years i don't really perform it so much now but over the years i would always read from paper and that was really to stop me from almost in, it, from, not even to stop me from embodying it but to stop it from embodying me and taking me over so that I'm crying every time I'm on stage you know what I mean because mm. regularly I would read that poem and I would be in tears I'd see people in the audience and they'd be crying and so just to give you an example of how powerful a poem can be when it really sits in your body that it can really like take over you it's a bit like although not the same as maybe an actor who has to embody a particular character. You know, like after a while, you hear about people that are like in character for too long mm. and it's hard for them to come out of character because it's it takes over you a little bit. And I think poetry can do that to you. Like it can really take you over. And so that was just an example of like me recognizing that and choosing not to let it have that take over me too much. Maybe I should have, but you know, I'm already quite an emotional person when it comes to the Prophet Sallallahu And I was like, I can't be drowning in tears every single time I perform this mm. one poem, you know? Um, so yeah, very powerful. 
Inshallah. Right, let's let's get back to the book for <laughs> for for a minute. At the beginning of the book, um, there are these notes of praise, um, and I'm mm. I'm struck by this one by Beverly Douglas, uh, who said, Ooh. "Reading her poems has become a daily ritual for me." So this got me thinking: How should we, uh, as readers, approach your book in particular, and and poetry books in general? Wonderful question and um, something that even for myself, I'm currently doing my master's and I'm writing my thesis um, and I'm looking at the spiritual, spiritually therapeutic um, consequences of sacred poetry, particularly looking at the poetry of West African mystic uh, and Sheikh, uh, Sheikh Ibrahim Yas, right? So looking at sacred poetry as mm. from, a, from a spiritually therapeutic perspective. But in general, because I'm presenting within a Western landscape, what, what poetry means within a Sufi landscape, it's quite interesting for them to understand that poetry is part of our devotion, that people will read the Quran and I'll read the Burda, for example, and this is part of our tradition, right? Or even some of our prayers that we use, like, uh, you know, if someone's familiar with Salat al-Fatihi or Joharatul Kamal, like Salawat al-Prophet or Dala'il al-Khairat. This mm. is poetry, but it's prayers. You know what I mean? So saying that to say that this relationship between prayer and poetry mm. is, in our, at least in our tradition, has always been there as this kind of, tool and I've, I've been thinking a lot about what is it about sacred poetry that makes it devotional and I think one of the things that I think when I, I contemplate on the burda for example is this idea that like by way of Imam Busiri's poetry spiritual poetry poetry from his soul what it does for us as the reader is it stretches our spirit as well so we get to kind of almost be widened by his words like Maybe someone would never think about, you know, he, he mentions the Prophet Sallallahu being like the sun and all of the other, other Anbiya being the planets, for example. Now, not many people may not have that visual image in their mind of like the Prophet and, and the other Prophets like that, right? So what that's given you as a, as a soul on your journey is a kind of way in which to imagine our spiritual fathers let's say right and so why I'm saying that is to say that like the significance of spiritual poetry or the poetry of someone's spiritual journey is really to also allow you to feel validated on your own journey right because sometimes the role of the poet is to say things that maybe most people feel but they don't have the vocabulary to communicate so the first thing for me is that like I wanted to write a, a book which validated other people's contemporary spiritual experience because I think we do have this kind of culture where we love to read the mystics of the past right like we read the Sufi poetry the Qasidas the, the Ghazals mm, or the mm. you know the Qawali all of this is sacred poetry but it's written by people maybe centuries ago but there are still people in our time that are having these experiences maybe not as intense but we're still feeling something like the same God who inspired Hafiz and Rumi is the same God that is inspiring us today, right? And so one is that, one of my intentions was that validation. The second was to, to give 
the kind of to plant a seed of like possibility for the ordinary seeker that like actually I don't need to be from some sacred noble family I don't need to be uh, some perfect pure person who's only lived in Mecca for their entire life making you know khalwa and tahajjud but actually you can be a person in the city in the middle of you know the the depths of the dunya and still be having these experiences and if you haven't had it you can you know what I mean so I, I want it to be that for people those are my intentions I wanted to really present a book that kind of opened up the possibility of what does it mean to be connected to Allah and the sweetness of Allah you know what I mean um but then I st- I started to notice that people would be sharing me my like sharing pictures of my book they've taken it with them on umrah you know or someone's that like doing their dhikr in medina by and reading my book after they've done their dhikr you know and i'm like oh subhanallah this is even more than i could have anticipated and and it, it makes my heart like glow like <laughs> like a galaxy you know what i'm saying just knowing that people had used my book in that way so in response to your question use it as you like you know the aim is for it to be a tool it might you might just be someone who reads it cover to cover you get what you need and you can keep moving or it might be just something that you dip in and out of before you go to sleep you know like I can't really say how but I can just share with you that my intentions when I was making dua when the book was almost completed those are my intentions to Allah like make this book make people desire you you know what I mean? May mm. this book make people really feel like I want I want Allah. Like I want that nearness to Allah. I want I, I want to if, if I'm not yearning for him, I want to be a yearner. <laughs> you know mm. what I mean? If I'm not desiring him, I want to be a desirer of Allah. So so yeah, that's kind of I didn't really answer your question directly, but rather just to say that, you know. I know what my intentions are, but what has happened so far is has exceeded my intentions, actually. You've, you, you mentioned this um, blurring of the lines between poem and prayer, and you, you circle around this idea in several of your poems. So, and you, you've just mentioned it um, just now. So, is this one way we can see uh, the practice of art being Islamic art as or as devotional. In in in, in your case, um, spoken word, um, poetry or poems, to be devotional. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, this is just my field of of work. Mm. This is what I do. Mm. Um, but it's also my my field of interest. And I think the more I'm also learning more and more. And I think that like, like you said, you know. Uh, many would say that poetry was the first Islamic art form because prior to calligraphy and, you know, the, you know, the mosaic arts or the, you know, the sacred geometry and the, even the building of our, what, what has come to become, you know, archetypes of Islamic architect, architecture, for example, mm-hmm. there was poets, there were poets in the time of the Prophet, وسلم, who not only did the Prophet listened to, but also encouraged, right? He encouraged the, the poet, poetry. Um, and so I feel like the concept of poetry has always been there. And I was just reading something just now, which was kind of saying, was talking about poetry as, you know, sacred, the relationship between poetry and the sacred in general. And I think what 
what what's interesting is that we have our Quran, which of course is not poetry, but it contains poetic. It's very poetic, um, and so the average Muslim or people who would have been writing the sacred poetry of the past will have been so steeped in Quranic language, which is already very very descriptive, very poetic, very profound just profound language first of all on top of that even some of the hadith like if you look at hadith qudsi mm. similarly very profound linguistically the language is just so rich right as well as you know at least from an arab perspective we also know the eloquence of the arabs that was what they were known for so already we've already kind of set up the landscape islamically for us to be great poets actually like the the scene is already set you you know what i mean um and then on top of that poetry what's what i read someone said was that poetry is different in the different to scripture in a sense that it's not dogmatic like it's not telling you mm. what to do right it's more it's more like we're experiencing someone else's experience or we're kind of visiting the heart of someone and getting to know how they feel about a thing if that makes sense so they're pointing to it but they're not it's not god telling you if you do a certain thing there's going to be consequences it's rather like this is my expression of love for the prophet sallallahu or this is my expression of love for allah and so that kind of gives you a different way of entering it not all poets, for example, like if you look at someone like Hafiz, for example, as much as him being now, you know, to this day, we still read his poetry. But in his time, he was the son of a blacksmith and a baker, right? He wasn't like, mm. he, so not like Rumi, who was already quite, you know, very, very famous Learning. jurist, um, very learned man already, theologian and everything. Hafiz wasn't. He was, a, some say he was probably a Hafiz Quran because of the name, but in reality, he was quite quote-unquote ordinary you know he had a sheikh but very simple um and so what what that does is it allows ordinary people to to also kind of enter into the landscape of the divine without feeling like they're being like they're being not so much judged but does that make sense like not feeling like there's no space yeah. for them and i think that's one of the ways in which poetry can act a lot it can it invites a lot more people, I would say. Um, some people can be put off by scripture, but they may be not put off by poems, right. you know. Um, so, yeah, I definitely feel there's a relationship. And I mean, my my research is a lot to do with the process of writing poetry and what that does to you. So not just reading the poems, mm. not just reading the burda. But what happens when you try to to write a, write a, a qasida? What does that do to you, that process? Because when you look at the kind of tradition of a qasida, it's a journey, right? You begin traditionally, uh, you know, because it's a pre-Islamic uh, poetic form that before the, the, the structure of a, of a qasida is such that you are, you go to the campsite of your beloved, your beloved is not there. So you start to kind of yearn for the land of the beloved, right? Then you have the rihla, this is the journey. You're going on the journey, you're trying to find all the struggles and the perils that you meet along the way. That's the next step of the qasida. And then is union, right? So pre-Islamic, it would have been union with your your loved one, your beloved. For for the for the Sufis and the Muslims, it's union with either Allah or Rasulullah sallallahu But the point the point is, is that that journey itself 
is therapeutic. Like there's something healing about that. If I'm writing a poem where I'm seeking the Prophet Sallallahu and I'm journeying to him and I eventually get to use my poem to speak to him and, and seek his intercession and seek his nearness and seek his company in the life after this, you know, that in and of itself is, is a very spiritual thing, just the writing of that, you know. So those, so I, I definitely think there's an intersection between spirituality and poetry because even with the burda, you know, there are certain verses that people recite, to, you know, in my mm. copy of the Burda, read, if you read this every night, this couplet, inshallah, you'll see the prophet in your dream, right? Or if you read this and you've got a, a calamity, inshallah, the, you know, so, so it's already showing you that a poem, pe many people believe that a poem can also help you spiritually, you know, so it's bigger than art for us. And I think that's what's quite exciting. Words can heal. Mm, exactly. Exactly. The 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 other idea that um, uh, I noticed that you you circle around is this idea of that even if you're living in the in the modern secular society, you still can be an authentic uh, seeker, and and um, I noticed that in the poem "Saints in the City" as you mentioned earlier. I wonder if you could read a section of that and yeah. you know, also tell us why this message um, is important to you. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, so yeah, I mean, that poem, I used to be uh, the manager of a centre in London called Rumi's Cave, um, which I'm sure you've heard about. Mm. And, um, you know, I remember I first started working there and it was very, very cold. It was really, it's like the middle of winter, but it just so happened to be the month of Rabi al-Awan. And I remember just seeing people just traveling in London and in the dark, in the cold, to be in these gatherings of light. And I thought, subhanAllah, you know, we are in a city and in an environment where nothing about our reality calls you to Allah. Nothing about big cities say, oh, Allah, you know, but here, here we are and so that was kind of the inspiration behind that poem like I wanted to almost paint a portrait of those types of people you know um, I think in addition as I said before that there is this kind of um, I don't know if I'd say the word is an insecurity but I think many Muslims have some sense of like not being sufficient enough for Allah or not being sufficient enough to kind of strive for that for that particular state of nearness and so for me um, and again this is also a consequence of the tariqah that I'm a part of and the teachers that I have which tell us to strive to be friends of Allah you know what I mean I've heard my Sheikh, Sheikh Mahi say so many times this is how you can become a friend of Allah and they and they are inviting us to try and my thing is like even if I don't make it to that state of being, if I spend my life trying to be amongst that kind of company, then I'll at least be better than I was. You know what I mean? Even if if to be a friend of Allah is 100 and I only make it to like 30, at least I'm 30% better than where I started. And I think that, you know, in this time that we're in where there's so much confusion and people are going through so many different dilemmas, like, 
we need teachers to encourage us to reach our spiritual potential, you know, because I think many, many, uh, we're all in this age of like self mastery and reach your highest potential and, you know, be the best that you can be. And it's all this kind of self development and self empowerment, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that, but we also need spiritual Mm. development as well we also need spiritual empowerment we don't just need to engage with our religion um from a perspective of kind of like heaven and hell or halal haram you know what i mean these dichotomies but actually like what does it mean for me to try to be as 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 best as i can be you know what i mean and so that means that i should be striving wherever allah put me allah made me born in this country it's not it's not an accident i'm not in the wrong place i'm exactly where i'm supposed to be and allah is as close to me here as he would be if i was born in mecca you know what i mean like if he's closest closer to us than our jugular vein that's mm. wherever we are mm. so why should we not try to be close to allah wherever we are you know um so that's that's that that's kind of the inspiration behind that Let's have a look. Maybe the last bit, because I think it kind of paints a portrait of the city a little bit. There are saints in our city, didn't you know? Friends of Allah walking down the high road. To those who clutch prayer beads tight, their intimate companions in the depths of the night. And as each bead passes through fingertips, his most beautiful names stain their lips and they send prayers upon the Prophet until they no longer exist. Their bodies exist in a metropolis, but their souls have found bliss. They know the whole earth is a masjid, so make sacred spaces wherever they see fit. Illuminating pavements with worship, they lay down prayer mats behind buildings that scrape the sky because Allah deserves to be praised any time, any place. Blessed is his name. To those who seek knowledge of the sacred, so learn from virtual sages, add Sudanese qaris to their Spotify playlists, seeking ways to satisfy their cravings for nearness to God in the city. To those who have come to the conclusion that this whole world is an illusion that will one day fade and all that will be left is his face. To those who seek God's grace in the city, to you I dedicate this. MashaAllah. Thank you for that. that there's, def there's definitely like a like a rhythm uh, to your words, and and even for for those prose-like passages that that you slip in between the poems, uh, when you read them, you realize that they they have some sort of internal rhythm. But I'm curious to hear the from you the internal rhythm for I wonder. Do you mind reading that? It's, it's, yeah, it's no. an interesting one. <laughs> Let's have a look. It's so it's so interesting because I think when people have reflected back to me about the book, a lot of the reflections have been connected to the poems, um, but not so much to do with the, the prose. So it's quite interesting uh, to, to 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 reflect on that. Let's have a look. Yeah, um, probably and it's revealing that I'm more of a prose person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is fine. Um, so you you like me to read this one? Yeah, I mean, I'm curious to, to, to hear you reading this. Sure, sure, definitely. Bismillah. I wonder what the world would look like if we left our egos at home and approached the world as though we were engaging with the divine all of the time. 
not him, her, they, or them, just the one in different disguises. How would we engage with each other? How would we witness the other? Would it make a difference to the way we listen, to the way we speak? What pieces of gold could we extract from every interaction? What type of world could we create if we stopped seeing ourselves and the other and only saw expressions of his oneness in every moment? What happens when we only seek God? Surely we would only see God, right? Sometimes I wonder. I don't think I've ever read that out loud before. <laughs> Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. And, and I really appreciate that some of your poems have QR codes appended. Yeah, you can listen to the, to the poems um, read out. Yes, yeah, we wanted to do that because I think a lot of people... Went, That's quite nice. Yeah, I, I, think, I think that was for a few reasons. A, some of them, like I said, were spoken word pieces already, you know, that were kind of rendered into, po- into poetic... I mean, already poems, but, you know, page poetry, let's say. But um, in addition, a lot of people that hear my work, I think they... Te- this is not me saying this. People say that they like my voice or the way the sound of my voice reading the poetry um and some people say many people message me they're like oh I I I heard that poem if they read something they say oh I heard it in your voice you know like Mm. it's almost like they're imagining my Mm. voice reading it so we thought that it would be nice to bring that element because I am a performance poet so it just felt nice to to kind of merge both Mm. so in Singapore just like in the UK we are surrounded by skyscrapers and concrete mm. and we live in a largely materialistic society and um, that, that is detached from tradition and and unfortunately detached from God. So do you have a message for your readers here in Singapore? Mm. <laughs> yeah, I guess, um, what can I say? There's so much to say about you know a, a question like that but I think when it comes to connecting to the sacred connecting to the divine connecting to Allah I always recommend that people start with what brings joy to their hearts mm. if that makes sense mm. um, because I think you know we understand from the Sufi tradition how multi-layered the human being is right we have the body you know they talk about the nafs the qalb mm, the, the ruh the sir like the intellect right so yeah we have the, our, our being ourself we have our soul we have our intellect we have our spirit we have and then even deeper than that we have our sir mm. our secret you know there are different elements to us but the heart is kind of the most i would mm. say obvious maybe visceral, visceral way in which we can get an understanding of our feelings and an understanding of how we feel about things and when something speaks to our heart we we, we feel it right um and so I would always recommend beginning there, you know, so if it comes to you, if, if we're talking to Muslims, for example, there might be certain aspects of being a Muslim or certain aspects of practice that reaches you. It might be the Quran, like the Quran just might be your thing. So let that be your thing, right? Don't just be like, oh, I love the Quran, but I only pick it up in Ramadan. Like if you love it and you, and you want to have a, a relationship with it it's like if you're in love with somebody you don't just only see them once a month like what one month of a year you know you want to be with them all of the time and deepen that connection and so if quran is your thing let that be your thing you know if that if if when you hear recitation or when you recite yourself it glad it makes your heart just glow 
follow the glow you know what I mean if your thing is to tahajjud maybe you just you know for me this is always my intention I want to be a woman of tahajjud I want that to be part of my practice and I always struggle with it of course that's why it's so the reward of it is so high because it's not easy <laughs> but if that's your thing then like make a date with Allah through tahajjud even if it's just like one Thursday a week you say okay I'm going to wake up an hour before Fajr mm. and that's going to be maybe it's dhikr maybe it's gather, gatherings of dhikr maybe it's khidma service community but find your entrance in um, there might be some people who maybe they may not be as religious from a practice perspective but they just really feel inclined to poetry of Rumi that might speak to them or the poetry of Hafiz if that is what speaks to you lean into that right it might be nature which is every spiritual mm. tradition can speak to the kind of spiritual benefits of being in nature just being around you know life form that is completely in accordance with its fitra you know what i mean like when you're in nature you're amongst elements that don't veer from what allah has designed it for that's why it is it, so it's like a reset when you go to nature because nature is true you know, it's not false. It's, there's no ego in nature. So that might be your thing. But I would just say, you know, listen to the heart and look with your heart for things that can bring you closer to the sacred. Because there's always a way. There's always Allah presents so many doorways to him. You know, one of my teachers in London called Shaykh Babikir, he says, I think I quote it in the book in my introduction. He says, seek God because he wants to be found. You know what I mean? God wants to be found. We know within our tradition, Hadith Qudsi, where Allah says, I was a hidden treasure and I yearned or I loved to be known. So I created mankind so that they may come to know me. So what Allah is teaching us from these words is that our essential reason for being is to know Allah. Like he created, he brought us from non-existence to bear witness to him. So find your way of seeking him. You know what I mean? Find your way of being find a way of fulfilling that that covenant let's say and so for me I think it's all about finding things that that can bring you closer to the sacred and bring you closer to yourself alhamdulillah beautiful I hope the, this book and the, the work that you do uh, lights the spark for people to seek and yearn for Allah inshallah I mean inshallah thank you so much for for spending the time with us and sharing with all the readers Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Thank you so much for having me. It was an absolute joy to communicate with you in this way. So thank you.